0: <clears throat> in the name of God most merciful ever merciful and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy Prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny Allahumma salli ala muhammad wa ali muhammad wa brothers sisters viewers assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and uh, welcome to this uh, new topic that we are about to address uh, the topic that uh, we've talked about uh, multiple times and we said that we would get to it as soon as we would be done the topic of the special prophethood of prophet Muhammad وآله, and this is the topic of imamah um, so as a reminder please uh, mute yourself so that you uh, you don't disturb the uh, the others um, so you know just to uh, kind of give the the general context for this topic i think uh, uh, generally speaking the uh, the topic of uh, Imama is one that has been considered one of the most if not the most single most controversial topic in islamic theology and in fact if you go by the sheer number the volume of works that have been written about the different topics in theology you will quickly see that uh, the topic of imamah uh, is most likely if not the the one that has been written about the most and discussed the most it is certainly right up there okay so uh, but generally speaking i would say that it is the topic that has been discussed written about uh, and the uh, about the most and the one that has triggered the most polemics and the most discord and the most dissension and the most schools of thought is the topic of imam in Islam so if you take that into consideration and you know that generally speaking when we say that there is any topic any big or small topic in Islam when we say that it is one of the main topics in theology then you already should be aware of how much there is how the volume of works the volume of theories and ideas and scholars and thinkers that one should study before you say I have a very good idea of what has been said about this topic this is about any topic so imagine if we say this is the topic about which there is the most writing and disagreement and discussion and dissension and and, and." so obviously it's not a topic that we can Cover in entirety in a few lectures okay so this is something already to keep in mind before we go any further that obviously as we've said again and again the point of our you know gathering and our discussions here is to get the basic understanding of our theological system of our belief system it's not to get into all the details and all all the nuances and all the theories about every topic that we're presenting And Then as you guys have witnessed and seen from the beginning depending on the level of interest that we get how many questions We get uh, or if there are topics that require a little bit more discussion or more detail then Gladly inshallah we will delve into the topic uh, Until we feel that you know your interests and your questions and your doubts and you know uh, whatever may trigger more discussion has been fulfilled and uh, you feel satisfied with the topic so this is the first point the second point is maybe just to give a quick map of the next topics or the next you know questions that we're trying to answer over the next most likely five to six lectures and i'll get back to that in a second so the first the first uh, lecture the, the today's gathering today's discussion is going to concentrate mainly on trying to understand this notion of imama. what do we mean by it when we say imama? what do we mean by imam and this is going to be a very important question or a very important point and we'll make that at the end when we talk about the methodological remarks as we call them at the end again brothers uh, just as a reminder to mute yourselves so th- once we understood this then in the next lecture inshallah we are going to spend a little bit of time trying to understand why do we need imamah if you remember when we talked about the topic of nubuwa we did the same thing we spent a little bit of time trying to understand why would allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send prophets to humanity here again we're going to have the same discussion but here's a big question which is if allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent his holy prophet to the people with this final and eternal and universal religion as we explained you know at length in the past few lectures then why would Allah Subhanahu Taala still need to send more people, this time we're calling them Imams, to continue this guidance? Is it because the Holy Prophet didn't do his job? Was there something missing? Why do we still need Imams? Okay, that's an important topic. Once we understand this, then we need to get into the details of when we say Imam, we have to get to the specifics. Who are we talking about? When we say imam and you will will present the the big theories today when we say that there is an imam we are also going to say that there are different theories and one of the theories is a theory of the Imamia. okay the Imamia who believe in the imam who consider the imam as one of the main pillars of faith and you know one way to view it is it's the main pillar of faith everything else relies on this pillar inshallah one day we'll get into a lot more detail about why why we say this But generally speaking, if we believe in this, then we have to know if the imam is someone who is divinely appointed or not. And if they are, then we need to discuss this appointment. What do we mean by appointment and did it occur or not and in what sense? And then what are the other characteristics of these imams? When we say that someone is an imam, they are most likely going to have to meet certain criteria. So what is that criteria? And then finally, we wanted to dedicate at least one lecture to the Imam of our time, the last Imam, about whom there is a tremendous amount, a tremendous volume of scholarship, Imam al-Mahdi تعالى, in Islam in general and in the Shia theology specifically. So inshallah, we'll, we'll uh, spend a little bit of time on that topic and that will wrap up what we were planning to discuss under the general heading of Imam. Now that said, I already started receiving some very interesting questions about the topic of Imam. and if I get more interest and more questions then maybe we dedicate one lecture at the end where we just answer the questions that we get along the way that have to do with the topic of Imamah either we do it in a discussion format or as I gather your your feedback and your questions, I'll put them all together and I will present them as one lecture at the end. So we may have a sixth lecture just to answer the big questions that you may have. So everything depends on you. If I don't get any more questions, then I will just sneak the answer to the question that we received in the right place in the series, and that will be the end of that, okay? Just so that you keep all of this in mind. The last point I wanted to make before we jump into the topic is that this because of the especially because of the controversial nature of this topic it's very important that whoever wants to address it whoever wants to get into this topic you have to do it in a methodologically accurate way you have to be very uh, organized very orderly and very methodological in the way that you approach this topic and the methodology basically means how are you going to define your terms? What are you going to use as evidence? And what are you not going to use as evidence? How are you going to conduct your research or your discussion as you get into this topic? And the reason I'm talking about this is because, in the majority of cases, anyone who has, you know, spent a little bit of time studying Islamic theology, you know that there are huge, huge controversies around some of the topics. And as we said, the imamah topic is perhaps the one that has triggered the most controversy so before I get into the topic I have to make sure that I'm doing it in the correct way okay we're not working with fallacies we're not working with things that lead to wrong conclusions we want to be accurate and we want to reach objectively correct answers at the end and in order to do this anyone who is objective and they study this topic properly you will see from the beginning that there is a huge problem in the majority of the scholarship with the lack of definitions you see if I'm going to discuss any topic with you let's say I wanted to discuss I don't know any topic choose any topic before we jump into my arguments and your arguments and my point of view and your point of view we have to agree on what's the definition of the topic that we're discussing if we don't agree on the definition if we don't define the topic that we're discussing then we're not discussing the same thing if my definition and your definition are two completely different things then we're not my arguments are not talking about the same topic as your arguments are we're not talking about the same thing and this is why it's so important in any scientific research in any philosophical research in any theological research that we define the terms properly and unfortunately, this is one of the topics that, so I'm mentioning this for you guys, for your own benefit. If ever you are just thinking about this topic, discussing this with anyone else, what do you mean? If you're talking about an imam, what do you mean by imam? Which part of imam, which definition of imam are you discussing right now? If there is no consensus on that definition, you're not talking about the same thing. Okay, so this is just something that you should keep in mind. And there are more points that we can make, but probably we're going to make them along the way. The last point here that I wanted to talk about, but maybe it's something that we'll talk about later, because I think uh, I just want to get into the topic, is that unfortunately, the majority of the scholarship about Imam has concentrated on the polemical aspect of it so the issue with this so let's say we take a topic of discussion we want to talk about something sometimes when you want to discuss something you concentrate on the thing itself to try to understand what it is in itself what is this thing that we're talking about you want to understand the entity in itself and sometimes you're not really trying to understand the entity in itself when you're coming to talk about the topic because it's a controversial topic the way you address it is by keeping in mind what let's say your opponent or someone else has said about it so everything you have to say is only in reaction to what someone else has said so you're not really necessarily going to understand what the thing is in itself this way what you're going to get is a series of answers to objections that you have in your mind about what others have said about it but you're not really looking at the topic in itself and unfortunately in the topic of Imam the majority of the scholarship falls into this format so instead of trying to really understand what is an imam what is imam why do we need it what does it mean we concentrate on the polemical aspect which really has to do as we will inshallah explain today quickly really has to do with is an imam equal to a political leader or not and if that is a political leader then how is that political leader appointed and who was the political leader who was appointed or not let's say by the prophet or the people or but this means that you've contained the role of the imam into political leadership you've fallen into the trap of only being active reactive i say my argument and you say yours we're not really trying to understand the role of the imam and the imama in itself we're really only thinking about, but what others have said, and how do we answer, and how do they answer us? Claim and counterclaim, and this is not really the proper way of understanding a thing in itself. This is falling into the trap of polemics. Okay, so this is just something that I'm I'm saying quickly so that you keep in your mind as we go through this topic, inshallah and the, the notion of imam becomes more and more clear as we go through this uh, through this discussion. So let's uh, let's start from the beginning. When we study the life of the Holy Prophet, let's continue where we left off. Okay, we left off with the prophethood of Prophet Muhammad When you study the history of Prophet Muhammad, what you learn is that it's like you can split his entire seerah, his biography, the history of his prophethood, you can split it in like two halves they're not equal okay there's a little bit more on the first half a few years more on the first half and the second half but basically there is a time when the Holy Prophet spent his prophethood in the city of Mecca where he began his mission and then he moved to the city of Medina and when we look at the manner in which the Holy Prophet started to spread the teachings of Islam there is a clear difference it seems to us looking 14 centuries after the fact when we read the history in the way he taught Islam in Mecca versus the way he taught Islam in Medina and that difference is that it seems that when he was in Mecca the Holy Prophet was concentrating more on teaching the basics of Islam teaching the foundational belief system of Islam it had a lot more to do with belief in God belief in the oneness of god belief in prophethood and the afterlife and you know becoming good muslims and the morals that go with it and the belief system that go with it and all of that and then the holy prophet because of the very difficult conditions that he was in and you know many many threats and almost being assassinated multiple times all of those failed <clears throat> by the grace of allah Subhanahu Wa Taala until he leaves and in secret, he leaves and he goes to establish himself in the city of Medina, where he was greeted by the Ansar, by the supporters, those who sacrificed and those who greeted the Holy Prophet with open arms in the city of Medina, the two big tribes of Aus and Khazraj. They greeted the Holy Prophet, they had an alliance with him, he knew where he was going, it was in secret. And he goes, Imam Ali salam stays in his bed that night, and the Holy Prophet goes. And he is greeted by the Ansar and before he went he sent some people before him those were referred to as al-Muhajireen and then there are others who did the hijrah after him as well and all of them together those were the migrants they came with the holy prophet those were the previous Muslims the Muslims who had entered into Islam right from the earlier days when he was in Mecca they followed along with the holy prophet and they came to Medina so now you have the Muhajireen and Ansar one of the first things that the holy prophet does when he reaches medina because these people are greeting him with open arms because they want him to be there completely different environment completely different context than what he had in mecca with the difficulties with the torture no one who could actually openly say i am muslim without being threatened without being killed without being tortured or their families or so on and so forth this is a completely different environment so as soon as the holy prophet reaches very well established historically one of the first things that he did is that he created a he established a mosque he asked the muslims to help him and they built a mosque and that mosque was not a mosque in the sense of it's a building it was not even a building at that time it was a lot more simple than that it was just four corners and then you know four four walls very short and so on and so forth and with time it got uh, developed more but basically that became the place where the Holy Prophet ran all of the affairs of the group of people who were his followers so it was a lot more than just telling people these are the teachings of God God says pray God says fast God says you have to perform the pilgrimage of do this account with time of course no the Holy Prophet started playing <clears throat> different roles than just teaching the religious uh, Articles of faith. He started playing the administrative role of those people who were following him. He played a political leadership role. He played the role of the judge. He played the role of the military leader. He had something to say about the financial and economic transactions of the economic system of the Muslims of that time. And, and, and the more you look at it, the more you see basically the Holy Prophet had become the leader that people are going to to consult to refer to in all of the affairs of their lives it goes way beyond just looking at the specific teachings of religion as understood in a limited sense religion being you know worship and fasting and praying and your relationship with god and it stops there no the holy prophet was active in every dimension of life and he was the leader in those dimensions and so here we have to ask a question as muslims as followers of the holy prophet at that time was their duty only to follow the holy prophet and to obey him in his teachings that had to do with the theology and the worship and the religious component or did they have to obey and did they have to follow the holy prophet in everything and for us so that we don't spend too much time on this we're just directly going to jump into the verses of the holy quran so the verses of the quran when we refer to them regarding this question regarding this topic we see that they refer to we can put them in two big categories one category talks about the general obedience to the holy prophet the holy quran says if the prophet asks you to do something you have to do it whatever the prophet gives you you take whatever he takes from you you give it up if he tells you to do something you have to obey his commands his orders point blank end of story these are general verses and then we have verses that speak about specific affairs it specifically talks about the holy prophet in his role as a judge in his role as uh, you know a legislator giving you laws in his role as in his role as and so specific teachings specific dimensions of life where the Holy Quran, in addition to the general obedience, specifically makes the point that you also have to obey the Holy Prophet in those dimensions of life as well. And this is an important point. When we talked about Islam being a universal and an eternal religion for mankind, it means that Islam has to be a comprehensive system that has something to say about all the major aspects, all the major dimensions of your human life. About human society if Islam is not able to do that then it cannot really be a universal and complete religion for all of the dimensions of your life and I think we spent enough time talking about the importance in a religion if it's truly from God that he teaches you how to balance between all of the dimensions of your life that you take care of your body and your health that you take care of your finances and that you take care of your mind and that you take care of your emotional component and religious and spiritual component and that you live a good life in this world and a good life in the next world okay who is going to teach you how to balance all of this if you do it on your own as we said humanity has failed and they always give you the power to You know, people's desires and those who are in power are going to want to be more in power. What's going to restrict all of this is the balanced divine teaching that will come and tell you how to do this properly. Okay, so if Islam, as we claim, is going to be a religion that is all-encompassing and universal and eternal and going to meet the needs of humanity until the end of times, then Islam has has to have something to say about every aspect of life. It needs to have something to say about psychology and economics and the way you you raise your children and the way you uh, create political leadership and military leadership and economic uh, systems and so on and so forth in society and so when we look at the manner in which the Holy Prophet conducted himself we see this very clear and then when we look at the verses of the Quran we also see that it orders the Muslims not only to obey the Holy Prophet in general which can maybe be interpreted by some as it's only talking about the religious dimension, but it's also saying obey the prophet and everything else. So it talks about other specific dimensions where you must obey the holy prophet. So now let's look at some of those verses. So if we look at the general verses that talk about obedience to the holy prophet, there's about 25 verses that are, let's call them the general verses. We're not going to go through all of them. We're mentioning some of them just to see examples. So, one verse says, say, obey Allah and the messenger. Open, general, without restrictions, without conditions. It doesn't say obey him in this case, but don't obey him in that. Obey Allah and the messenger. If they turn away, indeed Allah does not like the disbelievers. So here, as you see, on the good side, you get what happens to those who do obey, and on the bad side, you see those who, how are they threatened? How is someone threatened by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if they disobey the holy Prophet? And whoever obeys Allah and his messenger he shall admit him to gardens with streams running in them to remain in them forever that is the great success and then the next verse but whoever disobeys Allah and his messenger and transgresses the bounds set by Allah he shall make him enter a fire to remain in it forever and there will be a humiliating punishment for him another verse whoever obeys Allah and the messenger they are with those whom Allah has blessed including the prophets and the truthful the martyrs and the righteous and excellent companions are they and on whoever obeys the messenger certainly obeys Allah so you see it's a very very unrestricted unconditional way of obeying obedience to the Holy Prophet of obeying the Holy Prophet and as for those who turn their backs on you we have not sent you to keep watch over them okay so some more verses all you who have faith obey Allah and his messenger and do not turn away from him while you hear Him. another verse and obey Allah and his messenger and do not dispute or you will lose heart and your power will be gone and be patient indeed Allah is with the patient another verse but the faithful men and women are guardians of one another they bid what is right and forbid what is wrong and maintain the prayer give the zakah and obey Allah and his messenger it is they to whom Allah will soon grant mercy indeed Allah is Almighty all-wise and a couple more verses the day when their faces are turned about in fire they will say we wish we had obeyed Allah and obeyed the messenger and finally the last verse we have here on that day so the day of the, the afterlife on that day those who were faithless And who disobeyed the messenger will wish the earth were leveled with them and they will not conceal any matter from Allah okay now more specific verses and here notice the specific dimensions that the Holy Quran is making sure people understand so that no one can come back and say maybe the Holy Quran is only talking about obedience to the Holy Prophet in religious matters in worship spiritual matters watch these verses the only response of the believers when they are summoned to Allah and His Messenger, and he may judge, that He may judge between them, is to say, we hear and we obey. It is they who are the felicitous, They're basically those who win win at the end. So here, is, there's a judgment. The Holy Prophet is playing the role of a judge. And here, the verses are going to get even into more specifics. O you who have faith, obey Allah and obey the Messenger and those vested with authority among you. And this is a very important verse, inshallah, we're going to come back to it in a couple of lectures, uh, 459, very important verse. So, obey Allah and obey the messenger and those vested with authority among you. And if you dispute concerning anything, refer it to Allah and the messenger, if you have faith in Allah and the last day. So, if you truly are faithful, then you have no choice but to obey Allah and obey the messenger. See what the next verse says by but no by your lord they will not believe allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not consider the people believers until what until they make you prophet muhammad until they make you a judge in their disputes then do not find within their hearts any dissent to your verdict and submit in full submission so if they come to you and there's a dispute between them and they ask you to judge between the between them who is right and who is wrong If the Holy Prophet gives a judgment that goes against my interests and what I wanted I cannot even feel anything in my heart against this judgment from the Holy Prophet I have to have a full submission that this is the truth and I'm going to follow the judgment of the Holy Prophet regardless of whether I like it or not I can't find in my heart anything against this judgment that's when I will know that I am truly a believer that's what this verse says Next verse, indeed we have sent down to you the book with the truth so that you may judge between the people by what Allah has shown you. Do not be an advocate for the traitors. We have sent down to you the book with the truth confirming what uh, what was before it of the book, so the previous scriptures, and as a guardian over it. So this Quran is a guardian over the previous scriptures. So judge between them by what Allah has sent down. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the holy prophet to play the role of the judge between the people more verses the prophet has greater claim i don't know what what verse what a verse can say more than this the prophet has a greater claim over the believers than they have over themselves the prophet is more entitled to what you are and what how you conduct yourself than you are yourself about your own self and your own affairs that's what the Quran says that's for someone who has truly submitted their faith and believed in the Holy Prophet okay a believer man or woman may not when Allah and his messenger have decided on a matter have any option in their matter and whoever disobeys Allah and his messenger has certainly strayed into manifest error this is a very important verse have you not regarded those who were forbidden from secret talks this verse is in surah Al Surah Al Hujarat is a surah, Surah 58. It's a surah that is full of good morals and etiquette, how you're supposed to conduct yourself. And it talks about these little, seemingly, the little details about how people are supposed to live together and how they're supposed to conduct themselves, especially around the Holy Prophet. And so here, look at what the verse says. So, even when it's talking about something that may seem so trivial or a small detail, in fact, it comes back to say, and even in those things, obey the Holy Prophet. Have you not regarded those who were forbidden from secret talks, but again resumed what they had been forbidden from, and hold secret talks imbued with sin and transgression and disobedience to the Messenger? So, what happened here is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Holy Prophet the Holy Prophet told the people stop telling secrets to each other in public gatherings so imagine we're in a public gathering and two people or three people start talking in secret amongst themselves the Holy Quran says don't do that this is disrespectful this gives the impression to others that you are maybe talking about them that you're conspiring against them it gives it creates a bad environment this is disrespectful don't do that in front of people you have something to say to someone either say it publicly or go on the side outside where it doesn't look like you're telling each other secrets in front of others and do it and of course there's a dimension here that they were hypocrites and they were maybe doing things that you know conspiring truly conspiring so Allah subhanahu wa Taala wanted to put an end to this there's a whole dimension to this that you know it's not time to get into it but notice how even in those things, Allah SWT wants the people to obey the Holy Prophet, something as small as this. So the verse continues, and then when they come to you, they greet you with that which, with which Allah has never greeted you. They used to insult the Prophet with some of their words, while giving the impression that they're saying Salam to the Prophet. But they're not saying that. They're saying, may poison or may death be upon you, because they're hypocrites. And they say to themselves, why does not Allah punish us for what we say? Let hell suffice them, they shall enter it, and it is an evil destination. Two more verses quickly. O you who have faith, when you talk secretly, do not hold secret talks imbued with sin and aggression, this is the next verse, and disobedience to the messenger. Because if you're doing this after the Holy Prophet has told you don't do it, you're obviously disobeying him. But talk secretly in a spirit of piety and God-fearing, and be wary of Allah toward whom you will be mustered or you'll be gathered. Then the last verse, the spoils that Allah has given or gave to his messenger from the people of the townships are for Allah, the messenger, the relatives, the orphans, the needy, the traveler, so that they do not circulate among the rich among you. And so inshallah one day we'll get into this verse and how it says that there are things that come to the Holy Prophet without the Holy Prophet having gone, let's say to war and then received those out of a war booty or whatever so those are things that came to the holy prophet allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is here explaining part of our economic theory in islam where it says that you cannot keep those in certain hands and then those hands keep getting richer and richer with time so it's a system where the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer that needs to circulate and so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in certain can- situations whenever there's charity wherever there is richness or wealth coming into the system it needs to go to those who are poor first and then that will circulate the funds and not create a monopoly and make the rich richer and the poor poor anyways that's a whole different topic and so the Quran clearly says so that they do not circulate those that wealth and those riches among the rich among you take whatever the messenger gives you and relinquish whatever he forbids you and be wary of Allah indeed Allah has severe retribution. so when we look at all of this what do we get what we get is clearly verses in the Quran that tell us we have to obey the holy prophet in everything including very specific topics like when he is a judge like when he tells us things related to economics and finance when he is playing a military role when he is playing a political role Because these are the big dimensions of human life okay now if we go back to this topic this topic what's the link what are what is the link between everything we have just said we started with the Holy Prophet in the city of Mecca then we went to Medina then we said the obedience to the Holy Prophet has to be in everything and the Holy Prophet did play all of those roles and all those dimensions why are we talking about all of this when the topic is about Imam? because once we are even though more Muslims are going to agree about all of this the question is what happens when the Holy Prophet passes away who is going to play all of those roles so there is a religious role the teaching of Islam the teaching of the divine teachings to the people that's one role what about the political and what about the financial and what about the legal and what about the military and what about all the other dimensions of life who is going to play that leadership role in society does god appoint someone is allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to send another prophet another messenger do the people choose themselves that's one question and then the second question that goes with this is who is going to decide who plays that role do the people decide Let's go back to God. Let's go back to someone that we choose. Who is going to decide that? And the quest, the answer to this question is the main point of dissension and disagreement between the, the two big schools in Islam. Shia thinking and Sunni thinking. The Sunnah and the Shia. The sunnah wal-Jamaah on one side and the Shia and the Imamiyah on the other side one group is going to say one thing and the other group is going to say the other group on one side on the sunni side what you get is that they are going to say the holy prophet left this world and the people religion had been completed and perfected allah Subhanahu wa Taala gave all the teachings to the prophet and the prophet gave it to the people so now that the religion has been completely given to the people that's it there's no more nothing else that needs to be taught so he he has given them those teachings and he may depart from this world and the people can get to choose themselves how to conduct themselves and how to rule themselves and how to deal with their own affairs in life that's one version on the other side they're going to say no that's not the case Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could not have let the things the state of the affairs happen in this way and we're going to get into the reasons why inshallah this time and the next time here we're just trying to understand the big topic of imama. what is it we're not saying we're not giving any arguments we're not explaining any of the you know back and forth between who says what and why we're just saying you know in theory what happened what happened is we need an answer to this question what happens after the holy prophet passes away so as we said on one side on one school we were told Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given all the teachings to the Holy Prophet, and the Holy Prophet perfectly and completely gave all those teachings to the people, and then he departed from this world. And once he departed, everyone there had responsibility, had an accountability to all to get together and decide how they are going to run their affairs based on the on all the teachings that they have received. What we were saying until now is that the main question after everything that we said given that muslims are going to agree on all of these roles that the holy prophet is going to play in life in general all of these dimensions that go so much beyond what uh, you know only teaching the divine uh, rulings and articles of faith and worship acts of worship and spirituality what about everything else in life we said the holy prophet played that role so what happens after the holy prophet leaves we said there are two schools of thought where depending on how you answer this question, you will fall into one or the other, which became known as the Shia thinking and the Sunni thinking, or the Shia school and the Sunni school. So the Sunni school says, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala gave all of the teachings through the Holy Prophet to the people, and once the Holy Prophet departed from this world, they were ready to take those teachings and apply them themselves, so decide how to rule themselves, rule themselves, govern themselves, administer their affairs by themselves. And so anyone who ends up, this is what became known as the theory of imam, anyone who basically ends up ruling is going to be the person, let's say that they ended up being chosen by the people, someone who seizes the power, someone who takes the power by force, someone who is democratically elected, so on and so forth, Anyone, however, they happen to end up into the position of leadership, that is by default your leader. As opposed to the other theory, which says, no, it has to be a divine appointment. Okay, well, so it, everything depends on what is the role that this person has to play. If we're saying that the role this person has to play is the same role that the Holy Prophet played, then of course that person has to have the same characteristics as the Holy Prophet. But if we're saying that everything has been given and anyone who gets into that position should potentially be able to play that same role, then we don't need someone who is, has the same characteristics as the Holy Prophet. Basically, anyone could jump into that role and play that role. Okay, so these became the two big schools of thought. The issue is that if we look, especially that's what the Shia are going to say, if we look at history, what happened is that, look at the people who got into power. And they were respected and they were treated as being the leaders of Islam as being the Imams of Islam and those people sorry brothers can you please mute yourselves I hear you so those people who became the Imams who became the leaders in Islam if we look at what happened we clearly see that the distortions that ensued until today and over 14 centuries you know you have all these scholars always coming back and saying Islam needs to be reformed Islam needs to be corrected we have to fix the image of Islam and this has been happening for 14 centuries why because you constantly have people who are put in a position where they are supposed to be representing this religion when they are clearly not according to many others so this is what has led this idea that anyone can jump into this position of leadership and be considered an Imam Versus the other school of thought, the Shiri school, which says no, it can only be someone with a very specific skill, a set of characteristics. If you have those characteristics, you may be considered Imam, the most important of which is your divine appointment. And this is a very, very important point that we're going to come back to, inshallah. So now here is a question that is very, very important, which is if we want to understand how we're supposed to live our lives today, then it becomes important to understand where are you taking your religion from and what do you consider, what do you take as a role model, as a position of leadership from which you can take your religion. If you take the first theory, if you follow the first path, those people that got into power, however they got into power, so you just need to read a little bit of Islamic history to understand how, let's say, Bani Umayyah got into power one after the other and what they used to do to maintain that power. Or for instance when Bani al-Abbas got into power and what they did to get into power and what they did what they used to do to remain in power and what they used to do to their opponents then you wonder is this really truly what we want in terms of Islamic leadership and Islamic imam is this what it means to be an Imam or does it mean something else which is what the Shia have presented which is the divine appointment okay and that's a completely different theory and we're going to get into the arguments of both but we need to understand the starting point so depending on what you're going to follow in terms of a, a starting position you're not going to end up in the same place for the manner in which you're going to understand what islam is and how to take your religion if you consider that to be correct behavior what let's say Bani Umayyah or Bani Abbas or uthmaniyyin did to get into power then there is no issue in also conducting yourself in the same manner and reaching a position of imama and leadership but if you consider that to be unauthentic non-legitimate then of course you're not going to conduct yourself in this manner so this is not just some trivial topic or just purely entirely theoretical topic okay the last point that we want to talk about here is that Okay, so based on everything that we have said, we wanna give, we wanna finish today, we wanna finish this topic by at least making sure that we have a proper understanding of the notion of Imam. So after all of this, what do we mean by Imam? So very simply, in the language in Arabic, Imam, the term imam, literally, linguistically, all it means is someone who has leadership over a group. And that could be any type of leadership anyone who's in front and being followed by others is considered an imam that's in the linguistic use of the term there is no other criteria there's no other conditions for it when you use the word as it is used in Arabic plain and simple that's why you know sometimes you hear someone is imam masjid you know so this is the imam of the masjid this is imam al-jama'ah this is imam the Holy Quran says ammata al-kufr those who are leaders of disbelief leaders of faithlessness and they will come there are people who are going to be uh, imams on one side leading people into heaven and there are imams leading people into hell and they are the imams of uh, you know disbelief and faithlessness and so on and so forth so the term itself in itself just as imam doesn't mean anything it only means Someone it doesn't have a positive or con, uh, or negative connotation. All it means is someone who is being followed by people. Okay Now when you come to theology When you come to the manner in which it has been used by scholars within Islam and within theology and within that, you know, this tradition of Islam So beyond just the linguistic here is where you're going to see there's a discrepancy but generally speaking generally speaking the main way it has been used is we refer to the person who has a general authority over the islamic world or a large part of islamic society or the islamic nation we refer to them as being an imam okay so now it's starting to take that's why we said it falls more under the political dimension when it's not supposed to be but that's what ended up happening So everybody is looking at it from that angle who is sitting in the position where they are leading politically leading a large portion of society or Islamic world or the ummah and people are following okay that's how it has been used generally in theology so today when you say Imam people are either thinking the linguistic term which simply means someone in a position of leadership any leadership good bad small big or If the other way of thinking about it is the theological way, so they have all theology in mind, and they're thinking someone who's in a position of leadership over the Islamic over the Islamic nation or a large part of it. Now, if we come to the Shia theology, what are they talking about? So we spent a little bit of time understanding what they're thinking about from the Sunni school on the Shia school. What's going on? What's going on is they ask the first question: is when you say someone is now sitting in a position of leadership where is the legitimacy coming from for me to obey you for me to follow you you have to have a position of leadership that is legitimate this is what gives you the authority over me and i will gladly follow you if you have that authority but if you your authority is not legitimate it's not valid then i'm not supposed to follow you so my first question is where is that legitimacy coming from and the version that the Shia believe in of the Imam is that this legitimacy can only come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No different than it came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a prophet. It's Allah who says, follow this person, and so I follow them. Otherwise, there's nothing in them that will require me or make me follow them. If I choose to follow someone voluntarily, that's one thing but to make it kind of a logical necessity for people to follow someone, where is that legitimacy coming from? So in the case of a prophet or in the case of an imam according to Shia theology, this is coming directly from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. In other words, for someone to be in a position of leadership as we are describing, this leadership that goes way beyond just divine, this teaching, the aspects of religion that have to do with let's say acts of worship and spirituality and touching all aspects of life this has to come directly from Allah Subhanahu so the first thing is how can i know who the person is the person needs to be divinely appointed just like a prophet i can't just go after someone and tell them okay you're my prophet i'm gonna follow you it has to be someone that Allah has appointed as a prophet just like in the case of Imam, someone who has Allah has appointed as an Imam that's first and of course how do I know that Allah has appointed someone as an Imam just like how do I know if someone has appointed someone if Allah has appointed someone as a prophet I need to be told Allah needs to tell me either through a direct scripture through a miracle through the word of another person that I consider foul fall- infallible that I trust them I can know 100% that this is a person who is Only telling me things that come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they tell me follow so and so, and then I know for sure that I'm following the person I'm supposed to follow based on the divine teaching. So, the first point, and inshallah, as we said, we're gonna spend an entire lecture on this divine appointment for this person to be legitimate, truly an imam, they need to be appointed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I need to know that they were appointed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's one, two. This person needs to be infallible. For me to follow them, they need to be infallible. And I have the certainty and the peace of heart, the tranquility to know that the person I'm following is not making mistakes. They may be making mistakes voluntarily because you know everybody has weaknesses and desires, and they're working selfishly and arrogantly, and 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 or by mistake. They don't want to make a mistake, but they are making a mistake. They are involuntarily taking me in the wrong path. They're involuntarily teaching me the wrong things. They really don't want to, but they're, they're not infallible. So everybody's going to make mistakes, whether voluntarily or not. So how can I just follow them? What guarantee do I have that I'm actually following the truth? So now we have the second condition. We have divine appointment, and we need this person to be infallible. I have to have a guarantee that this person is going to get me to where Allah wants me to be and not without any deviation, without any mistakes, voluntary or not. That's two. And three, in order for this person to be able to get me there, obviously it means that they have to have access to divine knowledge. They have to have access to the truth not like i have access to the truth because i read it in a book they have to have access to the knowledge with a guarantee that this is what allah wants us to do this is what allah wants us to say this is how allah wants us to conduct ourselves and who can claim that who will claim that they actually have direct access to the divine knowledge and this is the entire theory of the shia version of who an imam is they have to meet those three criteria Divinely appointed by Allah, they have to be infallible just like the infallibility of the prophets, and they have to have access to divine knowledge just like prophets have access to divine knowledge. In other words, when we say someone is an imam in the Shia theology, in the Shia doctrine, what we are saying is that this person plays the exact same role as the prophet plays, and they carry the same legitimacy as the prophet carries so if they come to us and they tell us do something or when we see them we see them doing something or not doing something it is binding on me just like the actions of the Holy Prophet are binding just like when the Quran says obey God and obey the messenger basically it's saying obey Allah and obey the messenger and obey the Imam they are no different they have the same characteristics they play the same role and they are given the same characteristics are they equal to the prophet no they're not equal to the prophet are they bringing a new religion no but they will not claim that either they will tell you that we are extensions of the teachings of the Holy Prophet, and we're going to get into that when we explain what's the need for imams if the Holy Prophet was already sent with a religion. Why do we still need imams? That's the next lecture, inshallah. Okay, so inshallah, the next time we meet, we get into this. Just make sure that this point is well understood. This is, In Arabic, they refer to this as hajjiyah. What's the hajjiyah? Why is it that we can say that those people's words are as binding as the words of the Prophet or the words of Allah their actions are as binding to me as their follower as the actions of the Holy Prophet are because they play the same role as the role of the Holy Prophet so this is in general the version of imamah that the Shia school of thought believes in and so the next lectures are going to be dedicated to explaining to providing the argumentation the logical reasoning for establishing this type of imamate, along with these scriptural proofs for it okay so now that inshallah this is very clear what the shia believe in inshallah the next lectures are going to be why do they believe in this we're going to say the why okay and inshallah with this we've wrapped up our first lecture and the second lecture is inshallah going to be dedicated to why do we need those imams especially since the holy prophet has been sent to humanity with a full and perfect religion why do we still need someone to come after the prophet to continue with that work okay so inshallah all of this is clear and let me know if there are questions or concerns you can write them on the chat or you can uh, just speak up and uh, inshallah we'll answer anything else otherwise we see each other next time inshallah so questions concerns so as we said inshallah if you have any questions even if they're not addressed now if you want to send them to me we can dedicate one lecture at the end of the five lectures today is the first one of the five and inshallah we'll dedicate one lecture at the end to go through these questions Uh, anything that is pressing or different from anything that we're covering inshallah we'll cover it there and even if we're going to cover it then we're going to cover the question in the middle so don't don't hesitate to send any questions concerns that you got you may have uh so here is a question is imam a role similar to a prophet or is it more challenging uh so this is a it's a very good question it all depends what we mean by imam okay so if we mean by imam in general the 12 imams we don't the imams the holy quran Presents a notion of Imam. And there is a Quranic notion of Imam. If you go through the Holy Quran and you find all the verses of the Quran that have to do with Imam, you're going to leave there with a very clear idea of what an imam is. And the Imam in the Holy Quran are people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has appointed with a specific mission to lead the people, to lead the nations. Okay? and it says the holy quran gives us the criteria upon which those imams were chosen so it's based on their knowledge and on their patience on their ability to withstand difficulties so even when you go through the difficult the different layers of let's say prophets which prophets have reached the level of imamah this is where you see that Allah says those who were chosen for the role of Imam were the ones who had more knowledge who were able to reach a higher level of spiritual knowledge and who were able to withstand greater amounts of difficulty and tribulation and testing those are the ones who reach the level of Imam as we are clearly told let's say with the story of Prophet Ibrahim only after he goes through all of the tests including the last one which was when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered him to sacrifice his son and when he fulfilled all of those tests one after the other fully and perfectly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him then I will make you now an Imam in surat al Baqarah. now I'm making you an Imam to the people so now we see that there is a specific criteria for a prophet to reach the level of imama they have to go through Certain criteria meet certain conditions, and those conditions, if we want to trust some verses of the Quran, it clearly tells us بأمرنا, we made them Imams who are going to guide through our command when so they have yaqeen, which is they have a certainty, and that certainty comes from what? That certainty comes from their knowledge, and they have sabr they are able to withstand patiently all the tribulations that they go through inshallah this was a good answer to that topic and uh, or that question and inshallah we'll address any other questions you may have don't hesitate to send them it's almost prayer time so remember me in your prayers and see you all soon inshallah salamu alaykum fi amanillah